Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited to tell you about this podcast. It's called The DK Project, but it's really The Darren Show. The DK Project is a radio show, but without the radio. So sit back, buckle up, and enjoy the ride. Let's go! Hey, everybody, it's your old boy, DK. Special podcast today with Russell Schwartz. He is a professor at Chapman University. He's also done extensive work in film and marketing. This guy's got some stories to tell. Want to apologize to everybody up front. The audio's a little rough, but we got about a week left, and we'll be back in the studio, and the sound will be radio quality. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome back, Project listeners, to another episode of the DK Project. Special guest on the Zoom today. I, uh... Been excited. Uh, I've been excited for this one because I, I've got a couple of interesting questions that popped up here. But we've got Russell Schwartz on the line. Who? Uh, where are you at? California? California? Yes, I'm in, I'm in. I'm in Los Angeles. Yes, I am. Aha! How is uh, how is Los Angeles today? You guys well, are moving into the orange okay. section. Sorry. Yes, we're moving into orange. Yes. So that means <laughs> um, I'll be seeing some of my students relatively soon. I suspect. Right. And you're, and you, so, so how long have you been instructed or you're, you're at Chapman university? Yes. And, and how long have you been with them? We just spoke uh, with someone who started right during the pandemic. (laughs) I know you spoke to Galloway, my boss. Yeah. yeah. Um, And, and when, how long have you been there? I've been there for, well, three years, actually pretty much five years. Okay. Okay. So you've, um, you've done the whole normal and now you're you're dealing with the pandemic world. Yeah, it, the the uh, the shift was not that traumatic for me. More more so for the kids, of course. But you know, um, they're pretty adaptable. They got over it, and they're getting over it. And I think everybody is looking forward to the fall being back in person, and you know, things resuming as as uh, they normally were. So so they're forecasting that you'll be back in class in the fall. Well, actually, they're asking some of the teachers to go back right after Easter break, which is next week. Okay. Uh, I think there's a there's a lot of students who are saying mm, we don't think so. Yeah. Uh, and they're gonna they're gonna defer it till the fall. So certainly by the fall, I suspect this thing will be much under control. I mean, it'll never go away. Right. Right. But you know, it'll be much more under control, and I think everybody will be more comfortable going back to in classroom teaching, which you know we would all welcome, of course. Right. Well, and and and. I'm looking at your your information out there. I got to tell you that uh, next to John Smith, you've got about the most common name for doing research that there is out there. There's Russell Russell Schwartz everywhere and every make model, every uh, you know career path you could imagine. That's so uh, interesting. There is another one who's got my name, and I know he was working at HBO and Legal. And um, matter of fact, when I was working at New Line, which is owned by Warner Brothers, as was HBO. I would get some phone calls from really angry agents yelling at me for not wanting to close the deal. And I said, who the heck are you talking to? And I said, oh, is this the wrong Russell? Sorry, they hung up very embarrassed. <laughs> That's perfect. I, 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 you know, I get a lot of calls for Best Buy on my phone line. I have for years. I must be one digit off or something, but it uh, <laughs> it happens. But your, your, your uh, the president <laughs> president of your marketing company, now, is your marketing company really pandemic? I know it's uh, it's ridiculous. What's what's even worse is my license plate says pandemic. Oh no! Does it really? <laughs> yeah. 
So when um, you get a lot of dirty I've, looks, I've had, you know, I've had this company now for about nine years. It's a consulting <laughs> marketing. It's a marketing consulting company. And I, I just sort of randomly came up with the name because it was, you know, pandemic is about affecting a lot of people relatively quickly. Right. Just sort of the job of marketing is. So I said, right. Sounds catchy. So we, we <laughs> registered it and, you know, I've been consulting for many, many years, mostly with the independents, you know, once I left my studio world. Right. And, um, that I've, uh, my, my license place is P-A-N-D-M-I-C. Oh. And just when the pandemic came out last year, I would get stopped in, you know, Home Depot parking lots and say, you a doctor? Can you help me with my <laughs> questions? I could have made a lot. Of, uh, I could have made a lot of money being a, um, a parking lot. <laughs> a parking you have one lot of your doctor. little black uh, medical bags and. Uh, yeah, exactly. You had a great side hustle for about three months. Wow. And even now, a lot of, even now when I'm driving on the freeway, I find people tailgating me really close to get a picture of my license plate. Oh, I bet. Yeah, but um, it's, it's been pretty funny. Oh, that's really funny. How how cool though? I mean, I, I, I do you have a good uh, uh, URL with that, where they're trying to buy yeah. it off of you? <laughs> well, no one's no one's offered it yet. I mean, there's um, it's a it's a dot net. I'm not even sure there's a dot com that's available. I, I haven't looked lately. You know. Okay. So, anyway, so I'm keeping it, you know, but I don't think I'm going to be getting a, um, a check from the government soon because they'll look at that. And say, Are you kidding me? Forget it. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, the, the, the license plate's just a bonus. That's, that's awesome. So you're full-time teaching now. And, and, uh, but you also, I found on the internet, you've got a, a thing coming up in November. Um, let me pop it up here. Is that you or is that a different one? My, I don't know. We'll, let's do, find out. Do, do. Yeah. We, uh, Ah, where'd it go? I got so many screens open. Here we go. American Film Market. Oh yeah. Well, the American Film Market is a um, it's a market that brings together international distributors from around the world. Okay. They have about seven hundred of them that come, and they well, this year, last year was virtual, but okay, um, they all cram into a couple of hotels in Santa Monica, and it's a big ten day you know sales convention. Oh um, man! And I've actually been asked to speak there. You know. Pretty much every year for the past three years. Oh wow! Uh, what an honor. They also help. They also help publish a book that I wrote. So, you know, I've gotten to know them pretty well. But you know, what I do is I, I come in with my associate who I wrote the book with, Catherine McDonald, and mm-hmm. um, we talk to a lot of fledgling filmmakers or people who just are trying to get into the business because they come from all over the world. Right. And I just want to know that you want to just learn. So we talk about marketing and, you know, how important marketing is to your production when you should start the marketing process, which is really very, very early and not when the movie's finished, you know, stuff like that. And it's usually a two hour lecture and it's, it's you know, it's a lot of fun. So how, so, we, so walk me through that process now. And, and, and this is, this is what you're teaching uh, at Chapman, right? Is, is this right. process and the marketing and whatnot? Yeah, it's pretty much what I've lived for the past 25 years too, or 30 years by now. Well, so walk me through the process. If someone has a film that they're just, you know, got a, got a script together, starting to put it together. I mean, that's the time to start thinking marketing, right? Like, absolutely. I mean, even before the script is even written. Oh, wow. Start thinking about, you know, who am I writing this for? Who is, who is the, who is the audience for this project? Right. And if you cannot define the audience, not by saying, oh, it's all men over 25, that's way too wide of a, you know, that, that's a Marvel world. Right. But if you know if it's a smaller movie, you really, really have to do what we call get a target audience. I mean, you know, if it's if it's uh, women twenty five to forty, that's a target audience. You know, if it's if it's uh, seniors fifty five plus, you know, for right. what, you know whatever reason that that's a target audience. So 
if you don't know who your audience is at a very, very early stage, then keep thinking, you know, and, and the second thing is, you know, what's, what's the image, you know, what does that poster look like on the wall behind you? Right. Uh, what, Cause that usually is the first image that goes out on the web when either a movie is announced or when you start building your website. And that's you know, all you, that's, 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 you handle all that. Well, that's, well, you know, when I, when I was in my studio world, I had a team of, you know, 40, 50 people and they would either work on it in, in, in house or we would hire outside vendors of which there are many who do this in, in Hollywood and, and elsewhere, right. New York, Chicago, San Francisco. And um, you bring them in as, you know, as consultants and they help you craft the campaign, which is everything from, you know, strategic positioning statements, audience development, uh, copywriting, you know, et cetera. Yeah. Okay. You know, but it begins to build the campaign. So how much uh, involvement do you have with the movie like, so then you go off on your own and you're doing the marketing portion of it. And then the, the film's being made. You don't have any involvement in the film per se, other than they give you a, the script and the layout. That way you have something to go off of. Or how much involvement do you have? Well, I, I, well we definitely, again, this is when there's a collaborative group that's together. It's not an indie film that you know ends up at Sundance that it's acquired. But let, let, we can come back to that if you want. But the... Um, the process really, and the marketing pro- process involves very, very early on working with the production team to make sure that, um, that you know, if, for example, if we are paper cutting a trailer, you know, putting all the scenes out on, on a piece of paper, even before they're shot, we might see that there's a piece of dialogue that's really, really essential to moving the plot point from one place to another. And that's not, it might not be in the script. So we would say, please add this to the script or make sure you get this shot. We need it for our trailer, you know, stuff like that. So we're involved very early with the production process. We don't, we don't dictate, you know, what's better and what's worse or, you know, or, or stuff like that, but it's, it's a very collaborative effort when it works. And, right. you know, it's, you really anticipate a lot of problem that could come up later when it's almost too late to solve them. Right. Right. Well, you've got quite a little list here, uh, including like we were talking before, uh, for those of them, other the people that are just listening to the audio, you've got the Lord of the Rings uh, poster behind you there, or image, however you want to say it. But you've got quite a list here. I mean, my favorite movie in the world, Wedding Crashers, is mm-hmm. is monster. Uh, Elf is is got to be one of the biggest Christmas movies out there, right? Modern yeah, day, it's, it, it's an evergreen. You, you can find it all the time. Yeah, it's it's, it's really a big uh a big a big one and and i did see that uh you had the big lebowski on there too they have the big lebowski yeah i sort of came of of age in the uh you know the early 80s into the 90s really when the american cinema independent cinema movement was blossoming you know i mean there were great companies that were coming up even at one point miramax was a great company (laughs) you know um and i actually worked for them for two years and, um, but, you know, it's, it's, it sparked a lot of um, amazing movies and a lot of filmmakers grew up at it, you know, from that area, you know, fostered by festivals like Slamdance and Sundance and Toronto and, you know, of course, Cannes and Venice. Um, but it was really, um, it was a really heady period, those 20 years. I mean, it continues now, of course, you know, there's a whole new generation that's going on and there's some other great new companies that are out there, A24 and Neon, which are still you know, and focus and, and searchlight, which are really, you know, keeping it going. Right. Um, but that period when all these films and filmmakers like the Coen brothers and even Spike, you know, I, I bought Spike Lee's first movie. She's got to have it. 
<laughs> really? It was quite an experience. It was, you know, we had a great time with it. And um, so anyway, these filmmakers have all then, you know, matured and become, you know, now spokesperson or statesman for the industry. Right. Right. When you say you bought the, the movie, what does that mean? Uh, Spike had that particular movie. Spike had independently financed for I don't know, like ten, five thousand dollars, whatever, oh. whatever he did, or you know, thirty or forty thousand, whatever he did. And um, the woman who has had a, a production for this company that I was working with now called Island Alive Pictures. This is back in eighty two or eighty three. And um, uh, he, we saw the movie in the San Francisco Film Festival, and she said, "Yeah, we should buy this." And it was it was obviously a completely different movie than you would normally expect, and certainly um, you know it was about you know black relationships in a very very uh, unique way. And it was a comedy, and it wasn't your typical certainly black exploitation movie that was coming out that was so popular in the seventies. Right. And Spike was certainly a very very unique voice, and um, we made a deal with him. We bought the movie for the world, uh, so he came out very very well. And the funny thing, of course, is that we. Um, that same year, I had never sold a movie at Cannes. And I took that movie to Cannes. And we also brought the two young ladies who were stars of the movie to Cannes. And that was the same year that um, the festival was in dire straits because Omar Gaddafi was supposed to, who was a Libyan oh, you know, strongman at that point, right. he was supposed to bomb Cannes because there were so many issues he was having with the Western countries. So. No, but very few people actually went to Cannes. I mean, there's a big to-do about Stallone. He, he didn't go. A lot of people canceled. <laughs> but I, I went <laughs> with this movie and um, the two women who sort of hung out at the beach, you know, and properly unattired as you do in France. Yeah. And the movie sold <laughs> quickly. Like I saw the whole movie, the whole world in like a day sitting in my hotel room because, A, there wasn't that much going on. Wow. Anyway, it just worked out really, really, it was very funny. And, and Spike had, a, this is Spike's first introduction to Cannes, too. Wow. So anyway, that was, it was a fun time for that one. That's exciting. I, I That whole world is, is is you know, uh, I, I just have no idea how all that happens. It's it's very interesting to me that, that you know, you're basically, uh, you know, buying, selling movie. It's it's interesting. I, and, you know, so... So you just kind of set all that aside and now you're a professor. Well, you know, you go through 20, 25 years of being in that grind of the movie business, working for studios. I mean, they're, they're you know, it's no secret that they're extremely high pressure cookers. Right. Um, I don't think the, I think the marketing person at a studio, the only person who gets fired more frequently than them are the people who uh, run car deal cars. <laughs> <or market cars. laughs> um but, you know, it's a very, very high pressure. And, you know, after 20, 25 years, I said, all right, I think I'm done. You know, wow. it's, it's, I've had great success, you know, going from the, ind, you know, the ind, super independent, then into the independent, then into the studio world by, with my years, a new line with Lord of the Rings and, you know, Elf and Wedding Crashes, Rush Hour, you know, all those movies. Wow. And it was a great run. And, and even new line, you know, fell upon some hard times. Of course, the marketing guy gets fired. And then a month, two months later, the call company was shut down because it was sort of, um, rolled into uh, the Warner Brothers distribution system. There was still a very successful production unit. Yeah. At Line, but, uh, the whole company, which was 600 people, were basically fired at 2008, you know, like in one day. Man, you know, it's, just, it's just what happens. You know, it's, it's the world. That is you go crazy. Into, you go into a studio job, and this goes for any, any executive, knowing you're really renting the desk. 
You're not really, <laughs> you're never going to own the best. You're just renting Don't it. get too comfortable. Yeah, really. All right, everybody, time to talk a little tech. Something you probably don't know a lot about, but you should. It's ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN protects you from hackers who try to steal your information. Sending data over an unencrypted internet connection is like sending out a postcard. Your message is wide open for anyone to see. ExpressVPN gives you unrestricted access to all parts of the internet. All right, this pertains to those of us here in Minnesota who can't get our favorite sports teams on Fox Sports North. Many websites and apps are blocked or restricted depending on where you are in the world. With ExpressVPN, you pick the country. You decide what you want to watch, where you want to watch it. ExpressVPN allows you to reroute your connection to a server in a country of your choice, making geo restrictions a thing of the past. How does it work? Data encryption. ExpressVPN uses the best-in-class encryption. Wherever you are, wherever you're connected, ExpressVPN, every piece of data going in and out of your device goes through a secure, encrypted tunnel and cannot be seen. Not by the government, not by hackers, not by your internet service provider, not even by ExpressVPN. Every device has a unique IP address, which can be tracked back to you. When you use a VPN, your connection gets routed through one of 3,000 servers, hiding your real IP address and replacing it with one of our own. This allows you to browse the internet anonymously with servers in 94 different countries. And for the DK Project listeners, ExpressVPN is offering three extra months free. Sign up for a 12-month package and get three months free. Just go to expressvpn.com forward slash the DK Project. Click on the button that reads limited time offer for the DK Project listeners, and you're on your way. So if you want to catch the Twins games, if you want to catch your sports team, but you have limited access, get ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN.com forward slash the DK Project. Special thanks to the good folks at Grady Restoration. If you're in need of insurance restoration work or not sure if you have hail damage, storm damage, wind damage... Give them a call at 952-472-1570 or look them up on the web at gradyrestoration.com. What about the uh what about what about the 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 small indie films and stuff? How different is that for the marketing perspective cuz you know, you don't hear a lot about those, you know, cuz they are so small. Is that kind of a niche or or you know like cuz it's not near the same game as one of these big blockbuster movies. No, it's a very, very different world. It's a very, very different sales methodology. Uh, most of these smaller movies are, you know, come to market with extremely small budgets, certainly relative to the studios. Right. And, you know, they rely on what we call earned media, which is, you know, publicity and film festival exposure and good reviews and word of mouth, you know, to sort of help sell the movies. It's not about, you know, spending $50 million, you know, over a three-week period, and bombarding, you know, the web and, and traditional wow. television to create your awareness. So that world, which is, you know, very successful and has been the same, you know, but these movies open up on a much slower basis. Right. They, they might open up in a couple of cities first and if they're successful, they just travel. They call POWs, they sort of pay their own way. <laughs> and if they don't work, then you sort of pull them back and you make whatever kind of deals in the, you know, in the, in the ancillary market, like home video or streaming streamers. Right. You know, to try to help, you know, offset your, your expenses. But it's a very, very different world. And also now, because, you know, with the pandemic, there's so much content out there. And, yeah. you know, I, I, think, I think now is the studio world and the exhibition world gets sort of back on track, which 
will be to some extent, and certainly going to take some more time. I think the independents are going to be really um, extremely challenged to have uh, successful theatrical experiences, given that these movies, which are small in scope, you know, play fine on the big screen. And since probably so many people have upgraded their own home, yeah. <laughs> home systems, right. they play great. You know, so it's it, that's going to be a big challenge for them. How I, how how much do you think that that uh, has changed the way the marketing is right now with Netflix and Amazon and and all of these places that are you know, who's going to go to the theater again? I mean, obviously there's an experience there that you can't get because a lot of people can't afford to have, you know, that level of equipment and that, you know, but, but I, I'm, I'm guessing the percentage of people that aren't going back is, is pretty large. And I don't know that the, the movie world was going that strong before the pandemic. It just, you know, I, there's, there's obviously the, you know, the superhero ones and, 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 but, you know, not a lot of new, you know, I don't know, you get a lot of remakes and a lot of this. And how much do you think the the pandemic is actually going to, you know, hurt this market? Obviously, you know, there's no way to tell, but how, how does, how do theaters come back? How do they, you know, get people back when everybody's so used to sitting at home? Well, it's, it's going to be a challenge. And of course, the theaters, unfortunately, are probably just going to make the same popcorn and sell the same, you know, crappy food at the concession well some people call it crappy I <laughs> but um you know it's still going to come down to what what are the studios bringing and i think if they keep bringing their big tentpole movies that experience cannot be duplicated at home right so there will always be a big audience you know probably younger mm-hmm. which will want to go to the theater to a get out of the house and b experience these movies in a way they were intended to be which i think is great yeah, you know, it's just those middle movies which are which we are comfortable watching at home. You know, it's going to be harder. But also, I think there's a there should be some pressure on the exhibitors. I mean, you know, when when the theaters were there's like forty thousand movie theaters on the screens in America right uh, now, and it's way too many. So maybe there'll be ten thousand less in a couple of years, right? right? Which is probably a more rational number. But again, even those screens were all built in malls, right? And now with the online retailing really taking a big hit into those malls. Yeah. And what used to be known as location, location, location. Now all of a sudden you've got um, people going to a movie theater in a mall where half the stores are closed. I right. think they never reopen. <laughs> so, you know, it's really incumbent upon the theaters. How do you increase the experience to get people to come when they can't really necessarily go shopping anymore? Right. So maybe they've got to rethink the the food court. Maybe it's got to become more of a interesting experience to go and eat. So you could feel that if you go into a, a date worthy restaurant on a food court, you know, as against going out to dinner and then going to a movie. You know? Right. Well, you know, we've got some of those out. cinema draft house uh, here locally where yeah. you can drink and you can eat and watch the movie. And I don't know, it's kind of cool, but you know, you're not seeing huge blockbuster, you know, loud uh, movies there. You're just seeing the, you know, maybe second month out kind of movies. Uh, yeah. And also the independents play a lot of the Alamo theaters. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and have you noticed though that there? I think here locally, I'm in Minnesota. Uh, it seems like a couple of the movie theater owners, like they're they're just scooping them up. So there's no smaller, you know, not none, but the the independent smaller theaters are getting uh, going by the wayside, and these huge companies are coming in who have thousands of theaters, you know, which is good because they know the the formula, they know how it's scaled, they know how to make it work, but. You know, the little mom and pop theaters are just going away. They can't compete. No, they can't. They can't. And again, and the, and the movies that they're able to get, 
which are the smaller indie movies that aren't really attracting a big audience anymore. Right. Right. What about, what do you think uh, about all this animation that's come to life um, with, with TV and, and movies with, you know, uh, Pixar and these, these companies with these full animation or, or uh, CGI, like that's kind of taken over. I, and that's a whole different a game of marketing, isn't it? Well, it is. Um, there's two things that are guaranteed in the, in the world of filmmaking in terms of international appeal. And those are really big action, tenfold movies. And the other one is, is um, animation. Animation. Yeah. Animation travels beautifully from country to country because you, you, they're not reliant upon um, the voices or even the actors. Right. For example, there might be a Tom Hanks voice in Italy, which is not Tom Hanks. And that person could be a bigger star as Tom Hanks in that in Italy, even though it's, you know, because of their association right. with, a, with a successful movie. Um, and the fact that a lot of these movies can be dubbed in the native language, um, you know, is a very, very big boon for their success. Oh, wow. Not, so are there, are there people that, are there movies that do that where here in America, Tom Hanks is the, the big mouse where you go to Italy and their Tom Hanks yeah. is the big mouse and they redo the whole yeah. movie. Well, they just, they redo this, the, you know, the, the, the voiceover. It's not every movie is done like that. And you know, obviously Tom Hanks' voice is pretty important, but yeah. again, if it comes down to subtitling Tom, yeah, he's not going to do it in Italian himself. At least I don't think he can <laughs> uh, or want to, but you know, there is a, there is a big market for these local, local talent to sort of voice these movies and they become very well known too. Interesting. Wow. That's cool. So what's yeah. what's on the horizon for your class? What are you what are you finding uh, with these students? Are you seeing any uh, stars or what? You know, like I, like people who are just killers in the marketing world, or what are you finding? Well, I, I teach um, not only uh, produce uh, marketing to producers, but I teach um, uh, the the senior thesis projects where they're all in, entrusted to make a, you know a, an eight or a fifteen or twenty minute movie. Okay, and you know, the biggest challenge that I think every school has, and including ours, is nothing to deny here, is, is story. And, you know, the big issue is making sure that these students understand that the stories they're telling actually, again, have an audience or people really care about them. And they've got to be well-structured. And that's something that's certain that Stephen Galloway has been harping upon since he got here. Yeah. Not that it hasn't been an issue before, but he's made it a super priority to make sure that story, you know, he, he's, a, he's an author, right? So that the story is the most important thing. I mean, they can all learn the technical aspects of it, how to run a camera, how to light a scene, right? Yeah, record video, but it's really how do you create a story that's compelling and original? And you know, which is the same issue that you you even have in the independent world. You know, what's an original movie that really breaks out? You know, a promising young woman is a perfect example of a super original movie that's you know nominated for best picture now. Uh, first time, first time director, or second time director, you know, a woman yeah. who's been nominated before, but never had, you know, stuff like that. So it's really originality is the most important thing that we try to stress with them. And also to make sure that there's a coherent story and trying to structure a, a short in a, you know, a 10 to 15 minute format is a phenomenal discipline. Oh. And it really, really helps them all. You I know, can only they, imagine, you know, go ahead and. You know, it's no different than when these directors were coming up in television in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Uh, they were all directing their episodic, you know, episodes. And it was a great, great learning experience for them, how to work at a half an hour versus, you know, now that right. they can work at three hours. 
<laughs> right. And, and, and what are you finding with your students and these 10 to 15 minute shorts with the current environment we're in with the cancel culture and the me too, and the, you know, all the craziness going on in the world. I mean, how, how do you handle towing that line? Like how, you know, what's too much, what's not enough. We don't, um, they, they are free to make any kind of movie that they want. Oh, nice. Um, we are, we, there's obviously, um, you know, boundaries that we put on about, you know, sexual content or sexual scenes and, you know, things like that. But we do not, we do not censor what their movies are. I mean, that's their, it's their growth period. Right. They find themselves in trouble. <laughs> that's, that's on them. Right. You know, I mean, obviously, like I said, we, we, we you know, we, we can't have, you know, underage sex scenes, for example. Right. You right. Know, things like that. Obviously we, we will not allow, but in terms of the content, the kind of story they want to make, that's up to them. But do you think that there's more of a soft edge to what they're doing or, or are the students you're finding for the most part are, are, you know, being creative and running with it and not letting that hinder them at all? Well, it's interesting because I'm, I'm right in the middle right now, as most colleges are, I, I was just watching this shift between millennials mm -hmm. you know, and the Gen Z. And the Gen Z are much more aware, I would say, than the millennials. And they're certainly much less self-censored. Oh. Self-centered. And, and these are now the 18 to 20-year-olds versus the millennials who are now, you know, 24 plus. Right. And it's really interesting to be in that world right now. So it keeps me young too. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, they're, they're much more concerned about social issues. They're much more concerned about what the kind of brands that they buy, um, you know, and the stories they want to tell. And, you know, there's a lot of tolerance that they, that they certainly welcome. Now, whether that is a college thing and it's going to change when they get older, you know, I don't know, but right. it's certainly look between all the pushes that are going on on campus now in terms of diversity and LBGTQ awareness and, you know, acceptance and all that. I mean, it, it's, these kids are really pretty bright. I mean, I, I trust our future <laughs> in their hands and I certainly did in Good. maybe some other generations. <laughs> how, how, but, so you've been there a while now though. How, how have you seen the change? I mean, has it been, uh, you know, it, it, I don't want to say drastic, but is there a change from when you first started and you were teaching more millennials? Uh, look, the political climate has heated up every campus. There's no question about it. For sure. And, um, you know, there's always sometimes there's a, there's a, you know, a, a speaker on the far left or far right that gets into a, you know, hot water and this, this faculty wants to reject them. But, you know, I, and the president has been very, very adamant about you cannot not let anybody come and speak on campus if they're going to do it. Um, and regardless of what you believe, you know, that's not nice. what it's about. It's not what, not what campuses are about. So, you know, that, that, you know, that doesn't always work out. Right. Right. <laughs> Um, and we, but, we, we know, just had him on and we talked a little bit about uh, how things are with the distance learning. How much of a challenge are you finding that to be? Well, there's two sides of it. I mean, one is, hey, I don't have to drive the chapter for an hour, which is really helpful. Silver two hours a day. <laughs> I've saved 20 hours a week in my life. Um, <laughs> but aside from that, um, it's been it's been obviously very, you know, difficult to get it going. Um, but, you know, it's interesting because on a Zoom call and, you know, there's a sense of intimacy that you have with the students that you don't really have with them in the classroom when they're seated in rows, you know, going back behind you. Right. Even though, yes, you can walk amongst the rooms. I mean, there's no, there's no 
there's no similarity between teaching remotely and teaching in, in the classroom. So, but having said that, um, there are certain interesting aspects of it. You know, one of them being um, even these kids themselves are more willing to have one-on-one Zoom calls rather than coming to your office. You know, I don't know whether it's because they're that's a two-dimensional situation now or what. But you're not you're not as intimidating. Course, yeah, the flip of that, of course, is they are some of these students are stuck on Zoom calls. You know, six eight hours a day. They're taking three classes in a day, and they're absolutely exhausted. You know, and of course, the biggest drain on them, I think, is being stuck and not being with their friends, you know, yeah. and really having the campus experience, which is vital. That's why most of these kids go to school. Well, and that's the whole thing when they're transitioning from adolescence to, to being an adult and, and, you know, on the, I, I've got two of them right now. And one of them's uh, at San Diego state and she's, you know, completely unhappy because of how tight it's been there with the pandemic yeah. and whatnot. So she's coming back here, but it, it's just interesting that uh, how much, they've missed of the experience, uh, you know, with hanging out with their friends and, and, and meeting new people. And it's, it's really like, you know, fortunately she's going to rebound, you know, uh, everybody's going to, but yeah, it's just a whole different world, but it's kind of like their normal, you know, the, I have some friends who have seniors in high school this year and, and they've got a completely different normal than everyone else. Cause this is just what it is, you know, and luckily they're going to go back to school here next week, uh, in class full time. Uh, so they'll get some normal, um, but it's just taken on a whole nother element. So I got to imagine that you've had to curtail your, your plan and your, your scope of how you're getting across to these people, because it, it's, it's, especially when you're doing creative and, and, you know, things like you are where you, you, you know, kind of being there and, and feeling it is so important. Very important. I mean, we are, we are shooting our movie, our shorts now. We started that in February. So that's helping them a lot. Okay. Uh, you know, are they coming to you for that? Sorry? Are they coming on campus for that then? Um, not on campus, but they're coming on campus to get the equipment, and then they're going off to the locations, usually within a 30-mile zone of, of our school. Okay. Um, but, you know, that, that has helped a lot. At least they're able to be a, a group together. But, you know, it's also on a severe COVID protocol. Yeah. Um, you know, and which is – usually taking about two hours a day out of their shooting time in order to prep, test everybody, you know, all that kind of stuff, sanitize the set. They work in pods now, they can't commingle. You know, food has to be individually wrapped. You know, the, uh, the producer now as a person has to make the coffee. You can't take a coffee cup and go to a big coffee urn and get your own coffee. Huh. <laughs> so there's all kinds of stuff. But the fact they're able to do that is certainly helping. Yeah. Uh, and it's also, you know, kick them in the butt a little bit because they're getting pretty, you know, complacent. Yeah. Well, I didn't, I didn't checks and you balances. Know, I don't need to see any more sets of pajamas that my kids are wearing online when they're taking my class. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's hard to, uh, it's hard to get them to, to, you know, I know my guy, I've got a freshman in high school and I, I don't know what he's doing. I don't, I don't want to know, you know, as long as his I, grades are good, you do what you do. I, I don't care. But so what's, what's the future hold for, for Russell? Are you, this is it. You're going to be a professor till the end. Or are you going to go back? Well, into I don't know. I, I still keep, I'm still consulting on some independent movies every now and then, but it's only about movies I really believe in. Okay. You know, I don't want to take a, a you know, a, a piece of crap and just take a fee. I don't need that anymore. Right. Right. Uh, and also, um, well, let's see, I wrote a book, which was fine. Um, 
Tell us about the book. Now that's a marketing piece. Ooh, you froze up. Yeah, it was a marketing book. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And, and your, your co-author. And um, but I'm also working on I'm working on some outside projects about um. It's sort of a, a number of friends of mine who are approaching me about wanting to start an online entertainment school Ooh. that sort of bypasses the traditional four-year school and is much more um, certificate-based, where you can you know take you know five or six classes for a a one-year period or a six-month period and get a real certificate in a craft. Oh. It's much more about, you know, classroom to career kind of stuff than um, the whole, you know, college experience. And, you know, this is actually for a lot of people who can't afford college or sort of see through college now. Right, right. <laughs> what about, yeah. is, is there school out there? Like my 14-year-old, you know, every 14-year-old, it wants to do the YouTube thing and the, you know, be all whatever these, these gamers and video, is there anything out there for them? Like, has that, has that evolved into an actual certificate or, or, a, you know, I don't know if it's a certificate per se, but there's certainly many places that they can learn, but I'm sure, you know, the 14 year olds found them all. Yeah. On YouTube well, and forever, you know, there's also a really scary convention called VidCom, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is um, a convention of, you know, tens of thousands of kids, most of them under 18. I have no idea where the parents are. They're all they're <laughs> in the hotel. It all takes place in Anaheim. And it's where all the YouTubers and TikTokers get together and talk about their wares and show off their stuff. I mean, it's, I went there once and I'll never go there again. Oh, <laughs> just chaos, huh? But it would be your 14 year old, but just, she's the perfect age. Wow. Well, I'll have to, I'm not even going to mention it because then, then he'll want to go. <laughs> I'll keep it a secret. I definitely want to go. <laughs> well, listen, Russell, we gotta we gotta wrap this up. I okay. uh, I can't thank you enough for the time, man. Uh, how interesting stuff. I, uh, I I like what you're doing, and hopefully, you guys are gonna get back to normal here in a week or two. And, and well, you got to go back to that hour long commute. That's all right. I'll deal with it. <laughs> I can always stop at Whole Foods on the way down. <laughs> there you go. There you go. All right, Darren. Well, thanks a lot all for your right, time. Man. Hey, time thanks a lot. Good. You take care. Be safe. Okay, man. Thanks. Okay. Bye now. Bye. That's it. That's the end. That's a wrap. Read the shtick. That's a wrap for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe and tell all your friends. If you'd like to reach out, you can use the studio line at 612-504-6500 or by email, thedkprojectpodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, there's always social media at the DK Project Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.